Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Today, I interviewed Justin Lee, and he is the CEO and founder of Marmalade Advertising. His journey from being an employee on the creative side into self-employment with his uh, Marmalade Advertising is fascinating. There are many lessons to learn from that about how his issues with authoritative positions, how he became toxic in his role, and then also the things he did in terms of becoming a salesperson and how that drove him. And also now, how did he get to Marmalade? And then when we get into Marmalade, we're going to talk about all things promotional and how promotional products can be used to enhance your brand. It's a great episode. I hope you enjoy it. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. My guest today is Justin Lee, owner and operator of Marmalade Advertising. Welcome, Justin. Hi, thanks for having me. This is great. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so we're going to talk about marketing, of course, at some point, Mm because I love that stuff. So, but let's get into a bit of your journey. I, I do always love hearing the story of how you know, you became your own man as opposed to working for the man. How did that, how did that happen for you? <laughs> um, okay. Well, I, I worked in the animation industry and like video games and all that stuff. I worked there for a, about a decade. I got to direct some stuff. I directed some music videos. I got to work with some triple A list names, like some of the big brands. Nice. Um, yeah, it was cool. Uh, it was really cool. Are you going to cool. name drop and for us, Justin? Are you going to name drop at all? <laughs> I could, but I'm not gonna. Um, uh, but yeah, I got to work on some really the stuff that you want to work on as an artist. I got to work mm-hmm. on, which was really cool. And over that ten years, I got really toxic. Um, oh. I got super toxic because In what I way, hated Justin? it. Uh, I was an. Okay. Um, yeah. So I didn't. People couldn't do it good enough f- for me, and and I like I was like a. I was like a tooth and nail, like all cylinders. I'm a really intense personality. Um, and I didn't have that under control. Um, I didn't know really how to value things like small talk or like really, for lack of a better term, like giving a about other people. I didn't really have that part of my personality figured out. And I'm a really intense guy. Um, so I'd be argumentative and, and things, things like that, things that make a person like a coworker difficult. I was all of those things because I, I'm a fantastic artist and, and I knew it and I would work really hard and get really far and do the thing. But over time that it, it went from being, you know, competitive at like a Kobe Bryant level to this guy's just a like, why are you, you know? And the truth was, was that I hated it. I hated being an artist. I absolutely hated it. I just 
it never did anything for me. And from day one, it just stuck here and just grew. And it was just this like, just this toxic feeling that I had. I hated it because it's just, you're always doing stuff for other people. And that was kind of the root of it all that I didn't really realize yet, but that was the first sort of genesis of, of I need to be my own boss. So I, 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 it made me really toxic. The big, before you hit play, we'd been talking about like, you know, what's the, what's the thing? What's the start of my journey? Well, the start of my journey was I got fired. Um, so the first time in my life mm. after, you know, being in the industry forever, part of the industry is that you get laid off after TV shows are done. That's just part of the industry. I had never gotten laid off. I'd always get offers to stay, or I would just ha have another job lined up at me. Like I was employed. I was a rare case where I was always employed because I was hustling and I was great at what I did and had the skill set. I could talk to the people and everything. But over time, I just kind of got really sour. Um, and then I got fired. And that was a massive paradigm shift for me. Uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was such a good thing to happen. Um, at the time, you know, I kind of was uh, against the wall where I was like, oh, God, if I ever lose this job, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and then I lost that job and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I took my former bosses out for lunch like a year later and I thanked them for firing me. And I, was, <laughs> and they were like, people don't typically like thank us for firing them. And I was like, yeah, it was great. Thank you. <laughs> Cause I wasn't going to do it myself. So after I got fired, it was a really good opportunity for a clean slate. And it was a great, it, it was the perfect opportunity to reinvent myself and kind of, you know, do a bit of self-discovery and, and some learning. And, you know, I never, ever want to work for other people as an employee. I never wanted to when I was in high school and I had a job. I hate having a boss. I hate being told what to do. I hate authoritative approaches. Not in that sort of like, I hate the cops kind of way. Like, I mean, like, you know what I mean? I'm not like that. But like, more just like, ah, I just hated someone going like, do this. And then you're like, why? And it's like, this is stupid. So I hated that stuff. So anyway, it gave me an opportunity to really dive into that. Um, so that's kind of where it all began was that I got fired and it, it I got fired and it started a fire. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I got, when I'm listening to your story, I feel like it was like it's, the, the firing became because the, the ego the, and the toxicness outweighed. 100% the creative ability you had it finally tipped the scale percent. to the point where something had to be done yeah a hundred percent and that's exactly what it was and i i managed a team i mean the writing on the wall for the industry at the time it sort of does it goes in these like up these like seven year highs and lows mm -hmm. so we were coming into a low work was dropping off our rates were too expensive the studio was starting to let go of people already I was expensive. That definitely came came yeah. into play. Like I had a bunch of experience. It was great. I was managing people. But yeah, I had to let some people go and then I got let go. Um, so all of this kind of just happened one day and I went home and was like, what am I going to do? And then the realization of whatever I want, I could finally do whatever I want. Um, and that kind of hit Shackles me. Shackles were off, baby. Oh man, it was, it was hype. I spent the whole summer that year just hanging out on the back like on our patio and just like crying and figuring out like like getting hyped and then depressed and then making phone calls and then starting over and not knowing what to do 
it was absolute turmoil, but it was incredibly, incredibly valued. It's probably the hardest thing I had ever worked through. Mm. And then because of working through that, um, I'm uh, completely like it's, it's, I'm a night and day, uh, person. Wow. So was there during that period of time of reinvention, if you will, was there a particular book, Ted talk, YouTube video, something that sparked you again, like something that reignited your passion? Um, in terms of a, a reference book, um, I think there's a couple, uh, I off the top of my head. I can't remember what they are. I'd have to Google them, but I don't want to, I don't want to no stop. Them. Um, we'll put them in the show notes afterwards, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. There was one, um, the orange book. That's like, don't give a or oh, the, the subtle, subtle, art, oh, the subtle art. That was, I, everybody talks about that book is like, it changed my life. It was a totally life-changing book. That was a <laughs> great read at the time because we were talking before, um, the show started about cursing and how we both are like, <laughs> like we can curse a lot. Um, but it's a bit of a form of honesty and, and I kind of like it because I feel like somebody is just talking to me straight mm. and that's how I felt about this book. And that was something that I often avoided, um, when I was more toxic was of, I, I took any type of feedback as negative and, and personal instead of mm. just something I could work on and be better. And I didn't see the yes. other side of it and, and the subtle art not giving a kind of helped me you know, uh, get over the hill a little bit and, yeah. and kind of figure my, figure my out, I guess. Oh, I love that. And so you currently are uh, owner operator of Marmalade Advertising. Sure. Yeah. Is that what you went right into or was there any steps in between before you got there? Like what to- were some totally of the things steps. you did that you tried? So in any job I've ever been in, I was always the person that they would inevitably put in front of you know, students or a tour of the studio or some brass from another company, or they put me in front of this big client to win the sale. So I was always the person that would be speaking and, and chatting and, and hooking people and, and doing the thing. So sales became a really clear, that became a really clear thing. I was kind of angling for a sales role at the last studio I worked on, or I worked at because I could see the writing on the wall a little bit, but after getting fired, I kind of sat around and I thought, well, I want to open my own business, but I just can't, can't just be like, I have a business now. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I, 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 took, I took a bit of a weird path to kind of get there. And it took me a couple of years, but I knew if I was going to get into sales and selling, I needed some serious sales data. So I got a job. I, I somebody, I can't remember who it was at this point. It's probably just in like my, just the reference bank of, of advice I got, but somebody had said to me, if you can do door to door sales, you can do anything. Sure can. So, and I'm, I'm very much like a deep end person. Like I, there, That's I don't the have a middle thing to gear. do. That's what I'm going to go do. It's exactly what I did. Um, I'm very much a, like, I don't have a middle gear. Um, I'm either at zero or I'm at 11. Um, so I was like, well, let's do it. Let's go do some door to door, baby. So I got a job with a telecom company doing door-to-door sales and I crushed it. I made bank and then I got the hell out of there. So I, <laughs> I, I did door-to-door for a year um, and it was hard-nosed, boots-to-the-ground hustle. And it was just like awful and it was amazing 
I, I've never, I didn't think I was capable of something like that. And that's, and you hear, you know, you hear people talk about things like that, where they're like, you get a job when you're younger or something and there, or, or like a fortune 500 company is like, we're going to show you that you were capable of things that you didn't think you were capable. And you're like, that's not a, nobody feels that way. It's exactly how I felt. I was like, I can't believe that I was able to do this. This is crazy. Especially in places like rural Nova Scotia. Holy doing door to door. There was bonkers. So I, I did that. Um, my numbers were great. Again, I would always be faced with these sort of leadership experiences and, and, and opportunities. You know, I'm coming into a team that's got door-to-door vets on it. And I'm three months in and telling them how to do it and like what works for me. Because like they would ask me, they were like, well, what are you doing differently? Now, the unfortunate part of that is that I, I'm not doing anything differently. It's my personality. Um, and you can't really teach that, but you know, there are certain rules that I, I would follow for sure, but I treated door to door kind of like a Rubik's cube, or I don't know if you had an, I don't know if you've ever solved a Rubik's cube before, oh, but sure did. yeah, they're so cool. So you, you'll know that like, it doesn't matter how mixed up it is at the beginning, you get it to a checkpoint and then it's the same path. Yes. So that's how I treat sales or like, I don't really know anything over here. Like, I don't know what's coming at all. Like, it's just a total mix up mess. But I know how to get you to hear. And if I can get you to hear, the rest is easy. So that's how I would treat it. Um, and that's how I would explain it to other people. Um, but yeah, so I did that, did door to door for a while, earned some pretty hard nosed data, and then just kind of worked my way up. From there, I sold myself into a, a much higher weight class position uh, at another corporation's head office. And then I was sort of managing a territory. Um, from, I think it was like Halifax to like the tip of Cape Breton at that point. So I was only like a year to two years into sales career. And I was already kind of managing a bunch of different businesses at this corporate office. And Mm -hmm. so I did that for a year. And then when the pandemic hit, I was like three weeks into the pandemic and the writing was on the wall where I I was like, I, you know, the people that are behind the curtain here don't know what to do. So it's equal, it's equally as risky for me to just do it myself. Mm -hmm. So I quit. So, <laughs> I, like, I think um, that's an interesting comment because I feel in our society, we sometimes weight entrepreneurship as more risky than working for somebody else. Whereas it's not, it's, it's equal, except maybe oh, you have totally more control equal. over whether how things go when yeah. you're an entrepreneur. I think the biggest key for why people struggle with entrepreneurship is the sales part of it. That's I prefer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it probably has to do with that's my experience and, you know, that's my bias and blah, blah, blah. But I think you can open a business doing anything, but if you don't know how to talk to people and you don't know how to hustle and, and get leads and cold call, then it doesn't matter what your business is or how good you are at it. Like you're not going to go anywhere and you're going to flounder. And that's, I think the the key difference It's like having a job, you don't have to worry about where the business is coming from. You just have to worry about how to do it because there are other people bring, bringing in those contracts and those those clients that's the biggest thing with being an entrepreneur is like you just you're never gonna like you're never gonna close the doors if you know how to get out there and hustle and and, yeah. and talk to people and knock that's we call it uh doing some push-ups uh that's holiday where it's like ah oh, it's got to do some push-ups knock some doors fill that funnel and then start moving people through it that's that's awesome <laughs> um I, I love that all of those pieces especially around the sales and I feel like a lot of people go into entrepreneurship not realizing just what a big part of that it is 
right? Well, it's the biggest part. Like you can't have a business without customers. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. The other thing that comes up is um, some of the studying I've done is just even how when you're an employee, like you talked about, you're rewarded mm. for time and effort. And as an entrepreneur, we're only rewarded on results. Yeah, 100%. So it changes. It changes how you perform and what you do. Yeah. And I love that because I, I hid a lot um, in my artistic talent. I would hide behind that where it's like, I was so good. I could get away with some stuff. And, but with mm. being an entrepreneur, it's full accountability. If I didn't make any money, it's because I didn't do any work then. Like, right. it's like, well, you could have done the, the work. You just didn't have the results. Right. Cause yeah, I, can, yeah. I can do all the inputs. Doesn't mean I'm going to have an output. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, like learning that it's not a, the ratio is not one-to-one, like yeah. just because I made a cold call doesn't mean I get a sale. Uh, and I learned that in door to door where it was like, it's, it's mm. business and sales is a numbers game. You got to knock a hundred and I would, I would knock over a hundred doors a week. And then from that, I was only expected to get, uh, I think it was like f- on average, like four or five deals wow. from a hundred doors. So that really taught me like, Holy smokes, that can't be that hard, but it is that hard some weeks for sure. Um, but yeah, that taught me the numbers game thing where it was like, I, you know, it's not a one to one situation. Like you got to go hard in the paint. If you want five deals this week, like you got to knock 100, 150 doors. And that's kind of how I, that's how I think about it, where I'm like, you know, if I'm going to, if I want X amount of money this year, like if I'm shooting for, if I want to make $100 with my business this year, I got to knock like $500 worth of doors, you know, like that kind of mentality. Uh, yeah, that that got drilled into me. That's all. So eventually, you managed. You started Marmalade Advertising. What does Marmalade mm. Advertising do? Um, <laughs> so I actually I started a hat company during the pandemic um, called Milk Caps, um, and I that exploded. It popped off. Um, it was great. It was it was super fun, and it was a vintage hat company. So I'd be curating these these piles of vintage hats, and then presenting the really cool ones as these premium items. Yeah. And I'm very good at urgency. Um, I'm great at presenting premium. And then if you mix exclusivity in there, that's mm-hmm. a that's the combination. That's the winning combination um, for, for me anyway. So that's what I did. And it was great. Um, and these were vintage hats. So people would eventually ask me if I made hats. Uh, I didn't. So I started. Uh, I'm a As firm believer. in. Yeah. Right. I'm a firm believer in going in the direction you're being pulled. Yeah. So I was like, all right, let's do that. So let's start making hats. And then it'd be t-shirts and blah, blah, blah. So eventually that model and that look didn't really fit the brand I had come up with with Milk Caps. So I kind of started this side company. And then the other side of it too, the very sort of capitalist side of it is like, yeah, I needed B2B money. Because like selling, I was working my ass off selling hats every night. It was great. I was making bank doing it, but I wasn't making the type of money that a respectable business working B2B would be making. So I had to move into that realm. Um, as a result, Milk Caps is a bit on hold right now, but I'm going to be returning to it here in, in the next couple of months because um, I've been on hold since like July. So Marmalade kind of started up as this answer to promotional products. At first, I had these big dreams of like, oh, it's only environmental stuff or it's only, you know, the like I had all this, all this stuff. All the and criteria. Like, all the criteria. I was like, no trinkets, no blah, blah. But when you're first starting out, I, I, the thing that sort of supersedes any of those rules that I set out was that I needed to make money. So, <laughs> so I was That's like, a good gotta... driving factor, Justin. Yeah. As a yeah. financial planner, I like the money. <laughs> Surviving. 
Uh, and I also love money. So I was like, well, you might have all these rules and all this focus, but if someone knocks on the door and they say they need, you know, a thousand keychains, I'm probably going to do it. Your business is making a profit. You're growing, but you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success. Don't worry, you're not alone. Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your financial diagnostic score. It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to TotalWealthScore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. So that's kind of what I did. I, I, I just set the goal of just get it off the ground um, in the first year. So my first year, I did really well. Um, and I, I wouldn't have done it anywhere near as well without Kristen's support. Um, she is, all, she fits, she fills in all the, the thinking gaps that I don't naturally think about. Like I, we often, Kristen's my wife for anybody listening. Um, we often sort of think of the way that we, we talk about the way that we think together as a team as like a try like a funnel. Mm-hmm. And I can only think about halfway down the funnel, like I'm big picture and then I'm getting more and more strategic and then I'm salesy. And I find that that kind of cuts off at a certain point and that, and it usually cuts off where like hard nose admin and, and budget and Tactics money and, and tactic. That's where she comes in. Cause she's very good at thinking that way. And I'm not that good at, at focusing down to that point. So we complement each other very well. Um, so I wouldn't have had uh, as good of a year as, as we did, I suppose, um, without her support for sure. Um, so yeah, things, things were, things are going well. Um, and now I'm at a point where I'm a couple of years in, so it's time to bring that focus back and eliminate the trinkets and eliminate the mm. the keychains and push people more into well push but like recommend heavily <laughs> it, that people go with more quality than just the stuff that ends up in a garbage can at a conference it's yes. like we've all we've all gotten that bag of swag that just goes that right into the trash can <laughs> so I just I don't want to see that. that Justin, yeah. Because you and I were talking in the green room about, you know, I've looked at all the catalogs and I will, I'm, I'm like infinitely bored by a golf shirt to tell you the God honest truth. Oh, they're and hideous. It could be because I don't golf, Justin. So let's be honest. There's some people who absolutely <laughs> adore getting a golf shirt. Uh, and I'm not throwing shade there, but what I think about. I am. The, <laughs> you <throw it> away, <laughs> Stop baby. getting garbage golf shirts, you weirdos. <laughs> What I, 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 I am like a blend of you and Kristen in the sense of how do we be strategic with our promotional yeah. items? How can I use them to mm-hmm. um, move someone along in my, in the buyer's journey before they write me the check? And then yeah. how can I surprise and delight them afterwards? 100%. Um, and I feel like that those could be two different things, but they have to match my brand they have to match, you know, I'm a little quirky, so I want something a little quirky, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. then they, it reflects who I am and who the company is. Do you have a process that you lead people through to help them identify those pieces? I do. I wish I could show, I, I wish I could show you the wall. So I'm looking at, because we're, uh, we're away, we're in Austin, Texas for a couple of months, just because we can be. So we took our, our businesses down where it's warmer for the winter. Um, but I'm looking at like a 10 foot wall and from the ceiling to the floor, 
are the I have four, one, two, three, I have five different pipes that I pull uh, clients through. So all my clients are sticky notes and I just go step by step through all these pipes. So I have this like highly repeatable process um, because I need to know the less I have to think about what's next, the easier it's going to be for me to talk about the things that matter. And that's kind of how I have to work. Is important, man. Uh, and it's measurable. So if yeah. I, if I can see that there's like 12 sticky notes at one point of the process, then I'm like, I need help at that point. Like I, right. and I Very just, be, yeah, because I'm, you know, because I'm so visual, like I'm not, you know, I'm not probably not the strongest reader. I never really was, but I'm because of my art background and my, my visual tendencies, I find doing it tangibly um, so much more. It's probably the only type of value I get out of that process. If it's like, I was using Salesforce for a long time and I could never truly get a sense of where I was with anything from backing out and just looking at it. I was just always like, none of this stuff has tangible meaning to me and where it is in the process and the funnels and the whatever swim lanes, whatever. Understood. Yeah. You know what I mean? So well, for me, I just had to make it like that. So yeah. that's my repeatable process. You know, my method is like, where are they in the process? And then pull them through from there. I hope that answers your question. It, was a bit it sure does. Give me, can you give me an example of somebody and tell me a story of someone who came in and they may have started with the normal boring. And then how did you get them to something that was a little bit more um, spectacular? That's a great question. So, I, excuse me, I often find people come in. Okay, I'm going to answer this in a kind of a roundabout way. So I find clients come in and they say, we want this. And then I go, well, who, who do you, who wants that? And they go, well, we do. So people buy for themselves. Right. And, and I'm like, why would you do that? Like buy for your audience. So I just blows my mind, but they'll go, we want this. And then I go, okay, I'll show you that. But I think you should do this. Um, I'm just trying to think of just like a nondescript example, but like, if you were like a, I don't know, if you were like a hamburger place, you wouldn't have merchandise to make like, I don't know, <laughs> you wouldn't be trying to give people like a, a branded screwdriver. Your audience doesn't want that. They probably want like an oven mitt or like a barbecue tong or something, but they, but they go like, I like this. So we, you know, I like, I like keychains. So we're going to get keychains, keychains work. And you're like, your audience doesn't care about keychains. They want t-shirts. We already have uh, keychains. Yeah. Have you ever been, I don't know, anywhere like a value village and seeing the, the buckets and the piles of keychains? Nobody gives a shit. Stop going with that stuff. Just because you like it, that's not the stuff to go with. You got to go with your audience. So one of the things that always brings a little bit of wow factor from working with me is that I like to change how people think about it. I like to, mm. or at least try to influence how people think about it. It's not always successful. Um, people were going to, people buy with their wallet all the time, but you have to kind of show them the value and you got to demonstrate all that stuff and, and kind of get them on board. But ultimately the big wow factor tends to come from, holy smokes, we never thought of it that way. And yeah. you're like, yeah, imagine giving people something they want and then something they'll keep and something they'll wear. So it goes from taking your audience to, it's just your customer base, into turning them into brand ambassadors. So then they're wearing your clothing all the time because they like it. They yeah. really like it. Like this shirt that I have on, it's like a little like skeleton man with a coffee. It's his coffee cult. 
I, I bought it because I was like, this shirt is like unbelievable quality. Like this, it's yeah. such like to the point where I had to research where this shirt came from. And now they're my shirt supplier. So right. I was just like, yes. And now I'm wearing this coffee cult logo all the time. And now I'm like a brand ambassador for whoever the hell this is. Cause I just found it like a coffee shop. Um, but it just comes down to high quality, what they want give them what they want, give the people what they want, like that whole sentiment. But yeah, often, often businesses will come to me with their mind already made up that they like keychains and we're going with keychains. And they're like, that's crazy. Nobody wants that. So that's a bit of a roundabout way to, to kind of answer your question. Hopefully that, that. No. And I think, um, you know, to stand out, I mean, the whole goal of it is to, to have someone, oh my gosh, look what they gave me. That yeah. is value and that you like it enough as the client or the audience that you're going to display it, use it, whatever, because that's the whole point mm-hmm. in today's language, you know, in the sustainability movement, that is a very good goal. Yeah. And something that people don't realize as well is like, you know, when you're given a good quality item like that, like it'll convert the, it'll convert people into being really big fans of your brand. Um, and they'll say like, they'll notice like people notice that stuff now. This isn't like the nineties where people don't see that stuff anymore. Like this stuff is like, if you've got a garbage item, like no, like a garbage pen, like no one's going to be interested in, in your brand because the secret to all of it is, um, I can't remember the number right now. I think it's, it's over 70, maybe even 80% of, uh, people associate the quality of your promotional product with your brand reputation. So that's a fascinating, um, alignment there. Oh, 100%. So if you if you go, yeah, well, you know, the budget whatever, we're getting dinky pens, who cares? We're giving them away. The people that take them and the pens don't work and the ink sucks and they're just junky. Um they're going to notice and that will impact the people that are interacting with your brand. They're going to think that that pen quality reflects your brand. Whether you could be Microsoft or Apple or whatever. Like Apple didn't get to where they are with like junky design. You know what I mean? Like this, all of this stuff matters. It all really, really matters. I think what, what I think what you're saying is that what people have sometimes forget when they're doing this is that everything you touch, everything you give is an extension of your brand and that includes your promotional products. And so it's very important that you take the time and care to Mm -hmm. make the right decisions on that and have a good budget for it or don't do it because having junk, having nothing is better than junk in my opinion. Yeah. And trying to, trying to, that's a really good point. Like having, having nothing over junk. That's a really, I kind of like that. I might, I might take that. <laughs> I might take that a little bit. Be like, I'd rather you get nothing than get something stupid and junky. Yeah. Cause like it, it will absolutely impact how people think about working with you. And it's just that it, yeah, that's, that's a really good way to put that. And I also feel like something clever will make you stand out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, I, I often try to find, you know, if we are going down the path of, you know, 2000 trinkets, I'll often try to just avoid the standards of like a keychain or a pen and try and find a thing that's like reflective of your brand at the very least. Like if I'm working on something for like a home show, you know, and they're like, we want stickers. And you're like, yeah, but the majority of your audience is probably people who work with their hands and work with hammers and nails you should get like a cool measuring tape or like get like a mini measuring tape or something with your little brand on it. Like try your best to meet your audience where they are. 
Yeah. At least at the very least do that or don't get anything. I love the don't get anything argument. (laughs) (laughs) That's a risky, that's a risky dice roll, but I like it. Oh yeah. Uh, I I will recall, I used to go to uh, Vegas every year for a car show. I was one of the, we had a I was with oh, yeah. for a company and we didn't, the trinkets we had, we actually loaded up a trunk of a car with bazooka gum. We did not give Weird. out, we did not give out pens. I we love did not it. give out anything. You just came and got gum. <laughs> Might as well. Everybody needs gum. Yeah. I We're a big gum house. I can't imagine chewing bazooka gum. That would, because uh, I'll, oh, I'll take a piece of gum and I've got it for about eight hours. But you will remember that the booth you got the gum at. A hundred percent. And as I'm spitting it out eight minutes later, <laughs> like, wow. you gotta go back and get another one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'd like to, uh, to finish off our conversation. I'd like to scoop back to your working with Kristen, your wife, because sure. as you know, I do a lot of research and, and try to provide some value to couples, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial couples, whether mm-hmm. they work together or they each have their own separate businesses. But what I'm hearing from you is you each have your own separate business, but you have mm-hmm. this zone in the middle, yeah. this lane in the middle where you help each other. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me a, a bit more. So she brings some structure to your, you know, tactics and admin and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. she's, a, she's a process thinker. Uh, and then, so what, uh, what do you do for her and how do you guys decide when you need each other? Uh, well, yeah, she, she brings a really, really strong, like, uh, admin structure and, and sort of budget thinking and all this stuff. Um, and I'm very kind of up here and she's very down here, which is great. I, when I do that, I'm like, she's focused, not like she's down here. Um, I, for me, I bring a lot of like, I bug her, I make her lose focus. Uh, <laughs> oh, I really get in there. And like, yeah, ton of, I get in there and I'm like, you know, I was thinking about train tracks recently. And she's like, get out of the office. Uh, but no, she helps me with so many, uh, so many different uh, avenues. It's it's hard to, she's, she'll, she'll be able, I don't want to also speak for her because I know she's doing your podcast soon. So I'll kind of leave some stuff for her to talk about as well. But we meet in the middle on a lot of stuff like where, you know, she's early in her entrepreneur journey um, and she's a self-taught artist and you guys will get into all of that. Um, but I've been an artist since I was like five. So I'm pushing 40. So I have a load of experience. So anytime we get into, you know, how to do certain things strategically and artistically, like I can, I bring value there and I bring a lot of like, I bring a lot of sales value and and how do we, how do we talk? Like, we know we, we know the client wants to do this, but how do we frame that? Or like, how do we, how do, mm. how do we do this? Or like, you know, they want this, but that can't be done. So how do we think about it in a different way to still get the contract when maybe it's in kind of a different way? Like we, we just complement each other, which is a very fortunate, we're very fortunate to be really open and honest. And just, we just have found a really good way to communicate with each other and it did not come without its work for sure as we, oh, all good relationships all do. do yeah what haven't i asked you that you think my listeners would love to know about who i, I don't know who your audience is they're all so entre- they're typically entrepreneurs so they're building a business some of them are doing it with their spouse some of them aren't but when it comes to your business of promotional products mm-hmm. what is a takeaway about when do i know i should have one Let's go with that. 
when should Out I a commercial product or business? Yeah, when should I engage someone like yourself to go down the road of of selecting and distributing promotional products? That's a good that's a good question. I think I think the easy answer is when you have the budget. Um, but the better answer is when you see the value. Um, when you start to look at, you know, I'm going to a conference, I need to stand out, I need the thing, but the value has got to be in the quality. Mm -hmm. From my standpoint, you can go anywhere and get junk, go for it. But from my standpoint, you have to see, you have to be ready to see value and not afraid of the risk of, you know, spending a bit more and getting a stronger product. Um, that to me is like, when you really start to see what the value a good promo product is going to be and the return you're going to get on it, that's when you go, all right, I'm going to start chatting. It never hurts to anybody that's listening can reach out to me at any point and just and ask questions. How do they questions. get a hold of you, Justin? Um, you can go to my website, marmaladeadvertising.com, um, or you can just email me, justin at marmaladeadvertising.com. Uh, I'm always happy to, I'm always happy to, to speak. Like I do a lot of speaking with like seed and, and different, different class, like junior achievers and all that stuff. Um, Cause I love just talking about the business side of stuff. Like I'm always learning. I am by no means, you know, I'm not at the fortune 500 list again this year. Uh, but uh, you know, maybe in the future, but I love talking about process and, and anybody that's got those questions, like it helps me kind of, it helps me find my way in my business too. So anytime I can pass off information like that, no problem. Um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest, the biggest key is like, when, when do you, when do you want to invest in your business and when do you want to take it a bit seriously? The other piece of advice that I would give to anybody starting a business or anybody that is knee deep in a business will agree. Uh, all, winter is always slow. It doesn't matter. You could be a snowplow business and winter is always slow. Winter for business is slow get on board. It's going to be okay. It'll be nerve wracking and it'll be spooky, but you, the more comfortable you are with it, with the, with the risk and the ebbs and flows of business and no business and ups and downs and the whole thing, the better off, the better off your year is going to be. Get used to those kind of spots where you're like, oh my goodness, there's nothing coming. It's February. But then by the end of February, you got two or three projects in or you get five or whatever, but yeah, getting on board with just like winter slow, man, especially after Christmas. Take it and use it as professional development. Yeah. Thanks so much, Justin, for sharing uh, our time today. And I think the oh real God, bottom course. line here is don't get junk. It's an extension of your brand. Thanks so much. Anytime. Wow, there was just so much learning in this episode. Do you want more? I have a special offer for the right entrepreneur. A complimentary one-on-one -on -one coaching session that is all about you, your business, and your goals so that you can accelerate your business and start to accelerate the growth of your network. Head over to wealthcoachwithwendy.com. There you will find a letter that kind of outlines all the details of this offer and also an application form. We have an application form because there's such a limited number of, of slots that we're opening up for this that we want to make sure that the people that um, uh, do are successful in getting the slot we can make the biggest difference with. So head over to wealthcoachingwithwendy.com and apply today. Thanks.